salvation, and that's grace for the journey, and that's for me personally. There's also a grace that's given corporately to all of us as a people. So understanding those two things, and let me give you a couple of examples. One, one of those extraordinary graces that is, goes beyond grace that comes to me personally is in prayer. Everybody say prayer. 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 Uh, many prayers can be offered privately, and, and private prayers, God hears those. God has answered prayers that I've prayed secretly nobody even knows about. Uh, there is another kind of praying, and Scripture says this kind of praying is offered in the assembly, and it must be offered in the assembly for it to be heard. Now that's, that's interesting. It must be prayed in the name of the Lord and by at least two people. That means there's prayers that God interacts with me that I do individually, me and God, but there's some prayers that require two or more. That means assembly. That means somebody else has to be there. Right? And it's found in Matthew 18, verse 19. I read it. Again, I say to you that if two, everybody say two, two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that it, they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For whether two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There is a strength from God that is only granted when we are assembled with somebody else. That's what that says. It says there are some prayers that need two people. Have you ever been going through a situation and you didn't really want to say anything about it? And I know this is where we get... Uh, this is where we get prayer requests. I'm only going to tell you this so you can pray about it. There are some things we need a prayer partner for. And it's not to pass on some bad news. And most times, in fact, I think we'd be careful if we make our prayer request about something we need instead of something about somebody else, their need. Uh, just to make sure we're not just passing information that doesn't need to be passed. Uh, but going beyond that, because that's not what this message is about tonight, I think it's very important we understand that there are times we need somebody to come into the situation and pray with us. God does answer my individual prayers. He answers private prayers and corporate prayers. But if people do not assemble together, what this verse is saying, there are some prayers that will not be answered unless two are there. I don't know about you, but I don't want any prayers unanswered. <laughs> I want the Lord to do everything we need. You know, I want him to supply the need that we have. And if, if there are times that he answers my individual prayers, but I'm commanded and exhorted by the word to pray for some things connected with somebody, that means I'm going to miss out <laughs> if there's not somebody with me in that prayer. Somebody say amen. Another example of a, of a strength that goes beyond an individual or private uh, relationship with God is an example, the example of God's word. If I say God's word. We see an example in prayer where the Lord said in Matthew that prayer uh, joined at, with two is more powerful or there's a special grace that happens when there are two or more we also see the example of that in God's word. Now, God's word is described as a, proverb says his word is a, quote this with me if you know it, God's word is a lamp and a light unto my path. I want you to think about the distribution of light for just a moment. I want you to think about one candle, one little light bulb, Think about, as you're, as you're considering that, think about the power of reflection. Think about how bright one light becomes when it's multiplied by mirrors. You could literally fill this room with light with one candle if, you had, if it reflected enough. That's right. 
it makes light brighter to be even reflective. Uh, think about how bright that can become. Now, what happens, the word of God is a light unto my path. The Bible talks about the life that was in Christ is the light of men. When we receive Jesus, we receive light. And man, when I'm in my office or I'm in my truck or I'm, I'm sitting in my house, that light's wonderful. It's a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. But something happens when I gather with other folks that have the light of God. <laughs> you know, I've walked down the aisle at Walmart and I'm thinking about, you know, it's, you're getting a few days here that's in the 60s and I start thinking certain thoughts. They're not necessarily godly thoughts. They're about fish biting and hooks and poles and night fishing and can I get a witness? I'm thinking about how I'm going to wander around out there in the dark in a little fishing kayak. <laughs> Got to have some light. And I'm looking at Walmart and there's all kind of little lights you can plug in and there's Little bitty lights. And then there's, you know, there's the two million candle spotlight. You know, they're saying, so they're saying it would take two million candles together to get this bright. That's pretty bright. One little light shining in a corner can light up the room. But something happens when we come together. When all the folks that are God's people and they bring their light into an assembly, something begins to happen. That's, that's what happens when we gather at church. That's why it is important for fellowship. Somebody say amen. Uh, the degree of light is increased. Now I want you to notice in that verse we quoted, let's quote it again. His word is a light into my path and a what? Lamp unto my feet, light for my path. Everybody say light for my path and lamp for my feet. Everybody say lamp for my feet. What, that's telling you what that light's all about. It's not only individual, it is corporate. It is a light for your path which deals with my immediate direction, my next step. God's word is a light for my next step but it is also a lamp so I know I'm going in the right direction. It lights up the entire uh, horizon. I'm not just shining the light down at my feet. I also, and that's important because I don't want to stumble over something that's right under my nose. But I want to make sure I'm going in the right direction. So I don't just need a light for my feet. I need a lamp for my path. And that's what we get when we come together with God's people. We get a lamp. It's like all of a sudden we see, now wait a minute, I'm, I'm starting to have attitudes I shouldn't have. I'm starting to have, I think I may be slipping off in the wrong direction. I'm making sure I'm not stumbling, but I'm not sure I'm going in the right way. We need the fellowship of God's people. Somebody say amen. I think we need to discover also the command. Everybody say the command of assembly. Uh, I think it's, this, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. In fact, in the Old Testament, God had chosen a very specific group of individuals with, through whom to work. And uh, generally, it would be called the seed of Abraham. Uh, historically and going forward, it would be called Israel. If I say Israel. And God decided he was going to work through this people uh, these individuals, these people. And then he said, I want you to call the assembly together. Many times in the Old Testament, he called for an assembling of his people. It was, now what's interesting, if you'll study it, and you've got a Bible program, you can study it. First. When God called those people together into an assembly, it was then and only then that they are called the congregation of the Lord. Now that's interesting. That means they're God's people 
when they're out there camping around the tabernacle and they're all doing their own thing. But when God said, hey, let's come together and assemble my people, then they were not just the assembly, they were the congregation of the Lord. Anybody, you hear that? That means the dwelling place of the Lord. Now that's special. That means something happens when I gather with God's people that doesn't happen when I stay home and watch Benny Hinn. Or Henny Ben. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that it's a command to assemble. And the Lord said, when you assemble, you no longer become just people of God. You become the congregation of the Lord. Now, that's what I want to be as well. And there's an enlightening study in Leviticus chapter 8 and 9. If you want to study that, it's, it's, uh, it's fun reading. If you want something real good to read, Leviticus is a good book to read. Eight and nine, those chapters are interesting because the Lord is instituting the tabernacle. The tabernacle worship, all the sacrifices, they're pretty intricate. It's, it's pretty detailed oriented. It's amazing stuff, if you, the typology in those chapters. But in Leviticus chapter eight, we come to the ordination of the high priest. God had selected two fellows to be high priest and this was a ceremony where they were gonna be ordained. Uh, It was their first day on the job. It's like, okay, God's called you to do this. Now here's how you do it. And this was the day they they, uh, went on the time clock. They now were going to be high priests. And they were sanctified in a certain way. And there were certain things Moses did with them so that they would be uh, right with God to offer sacrifices for God's people. And Leviticus chapter 8, we find that ordination service and a lot of good things happen. And going into verse 9, they continue to celebrate and they offer sacrifices because now we have a high priest and we can be clean before God. But something interesting happens right at the end of chapter 9, and it's found in verse 23 and 24. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people, and the look at this, and the glory of the Lord appeared to who? All the people. I want you to notice that. At the institution of the tabernacle, God wanted everybody to see his glory. He showed that to everybody. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which went, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their face. Now I want you to know the significance of this fire. This was the fire that was to never go out. In fact, when they went into worship, they were to take coals from off the altar where this fire started and God started it. Everybody say, God started it. Nobody needed a a dura log or dura flame or whatever. (laughs) You didn't need a blowtorch. God lit it. Everybody say, God started it. And he, from that day forward, they were not to let that fire go out, the fire that God started. The coals from off that altar is what they took into the holy place and offered incense on. So there was no fire in the tabernacle that God didn't start. So they, and God didn't want them to think somebody uh, got their little Boy Scout uh, fire starter in the back room and kind of, he wanted everybody to know this is a fire that I started. So he didn't do it in the back room and then somebody bring it out and say, oh, I just want to tell you what I've been dealing with all week or I want to tell you what God's been doing with me all week and talking about their personal relationship with God, which is important. God wanted this to be seen publicly. There is a fire you need in your prayer closet, but there is also a fire that God's people need to experience. Oh, somebody praise the Lord right now. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. They they personally and individually saw God light that 
fire. They had a personal experience, not secondhand rumor, not my grandma was apostolic, not boy, I remember with the old Brush Arbor days. Oh God, that we could get past that and every time we come together, we recognize that God has a fire among us that he is moving in and working in. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. And there were times where the priest individually would go before the Lord. But there was also an experience God wanted all the people. Everybody say all the people. Absolutely. In the New Testament, we find it. The command together. We find in the Old Testament, they were commanded to assemble. And they were called the congregation when they assembled. In the New Testament of Hebrews 10, I read it. Let, let us hold fast our profession, the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's all one sentence. Now notice what we are to do as we assemble. We are to hold on to our profession of faith not wavering. It's all in connection with assembling. He said, you need to come together, hold on to your faith, don't waver, because somebody in the assembly needs to see you holding on. Somebody needs to know you lost your job, but you're still at church worshiping God. You need to hold on, because when you get to church, somebody needs to see you not wavering. Keep on believing, keep on trusting because it's going to do its work in the assembly. How many, how many know that by yourself sometimes you feel like giving up? All it takes every once in a while is to know I got to hold on for somebody. Come on, what about it, Father? There are times when you know I just feel like quitting, but you feel like I got to hold on for somebody. Oh. Folks, don't waver. Hold on to your profession of faith, not wavering. It doesn't mean just be faithful by yourself. Everybody say, hold to your profession. What is profession? It's professing something. You're doing it before somebody. It doesn't mean just be faithful when you're at home. It means profess your faithfulness in the assembly. We, I want to say something to the young at heart crew. Otherwise known as the old folks. affectionately known as the pillars of the assembly. Hello? Let me say something to the dear saints of God that don't have much more energy or ideas. You've lost your creativity and you've lost your energy even if you had a good idea. I'm, I'm there. You think, what else is there for me to do? You get discouraged because you think, I don't have anything else to do. What about professing that you are holding on. I'm still here. I've been through the floods, but I'm still here. I've been through the fire, but I'm still here. The devil thought he'd kill me, but I'm still here. And I'm not just gonna do that when I'm at home. I'm gonna do that when I'm in the assembly. I'm gonna profess that I am holding on. I still believe. I still trust. I'm still walking with God. I still love the Lord. That, my friend, that profession, that profession, on, hey, it doesn't say profess that you're holding to your faith on Facebook. It does not say tweet your profession of faith. Now, I know you can profess in many ways, but this, and, and it's good to profess. If you're gonna tweet, Tweet about your faith. I teach life development and I talk about developing, maturing. And I had somebody say, well, yeah, but Brother Gene, you can use that for God and for the gospel. And you know what I immediately said? Let's put your Facebook up on here. Let's project your Facebook page right now and let's see how much gospel. You can say that all day long. Brudging, you can use tweet for this. Yeah, but are you? 
That's the point. And if you're not, then I guess you better start. Man, how did I get off on that? I'm preaching about fellowship. What I'm saying to you is this scripture says you need to profess, hold to the profession of your faith, and the whole sentence ends with assembling together. That means when you gather together as an assembly, holding on to your faith needs to be professed. And then it says provoke one another. (laughs) Boy, we got that down. That's pretty provoking, isn't it? What does provoke mean? When I say the word provoke, what comes to mind? Somebody stirring you up. Somebody making you mad. They provoke me, Brother Gene. Well, the Bible says when we assemble, we should be provoking one another to something. Not anger, not jealousy. Not greed. We don't, hello, we don't put a stumbling block in front of any of God's people. We don't provoke one another to anger or jealousy or wrath or any of these these things that are not godly. We provoke one another to love. Man, wouldn't it be great when somebody comes to you and says, you know what I heard? That you turn around and provoke them to love that person. Brother Gene, my husband's driving me crazy. Well, I want to get you so mad that you love him. I want to stir you up to love him. I want to stir you up to do what God's asked you to do. I want to stir you to have a love of God in your heart. I want to stir you to good works. Come on, you can do better. Come on, it's not over yet. And the um, That happens in the assembly. How many know there are times you need a word of encouragement? You need somebody to say, come on, you can make it. You need somebody to say, hey, I'm praying for you. That happens in the assembly. So there are things that cannot happen unless we are assembled. Anybody glad to be at church tonight? Yes, sir. Let me also say you cannot disobey a direct word from God and there not be consequences for it. So when he says forsake, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, it means what it says. We don't need the Greek interpretation. There are many examples of assembly. The Lord Jesus Christ met with his disciples in boats. Man, I love that. Homes, tops of the mountains, in a borrowed room. After his resurrection, he met behind closed doors. After his ascension, The disciples were gathered in one place in one accord. After Pentecost in Acts 2 and 46, it says they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. If I say house to house, absolutely. They knew the power of gathering together. In fact, please notice two words. They ate their meat with gladness and singleness. Notice those two words, gladness and singleness. That means there is a joy that only comes by assembling with God's people. I've heard people say, well, I lost the joy. I need my joy back. Well, maybe it has a connection with you getting together with God's people. Acts 2 and 46 says they continued together. It's trying to get out in my old tongue. It's just stopping. They continued together with gladness. There is joy that comes. There is a unity that comes. You can't say I want to be unified with God's people and then not want to gather with them. There was joy when they gathered and there was unity when they gathered. We need that. I'm going to say it again. We need that. We need that in this church. We need joy. You ever uh, picked up any kids that were not your own? Burners are here. They're a prime example that it can be done and you still, to some degree, have your sanity. 
We got other foster parents in here. You know what? I, I would say one of, the, one of the first adjustments that have to be made is we don't do that in this house. I don't know where you've been, who taught you, who told you that was okay. But in this house, that's a no-no. Now, your kids know that. But kids that aren't raised there, you know, you, you just pick them up. They don't know that. You have to show them how to act. I thank God for every person that got baptized with the Holy Ghost in these altars or in that gymnasium. But the fact of the matter is everybody sitting here tonight was not born in this church. We, we have come from other places. I didn't get the Holy Ghost here. That's why when people say, Brother Gene, I don't feel a part because I don't have a key to the church, I don't understand that. I never had a key to the church. To this day, I don't have a key to my church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church I was raised in. Brother Gene, I don't know if you love me because you've never been to my house. My pastor came once to my house. I was so sick, I was delirious. He prayed for me and left. Once. I wasn't raised in this environment where everybody knows everybody's business and everybody has a key to the church and the pastor goes and sits on everybody's porch and has supper with them. My pastor was to feed me, preach to me, correct me, exhort before me. So I wasn't even raised in this environment. I wasn't raised in a small church. So I wasn't raised here either. So you know what happens when foster kids all gather together? We got to figure out what the rules are. We got to figure out what the rules of the house are. Whether we come from Louisiana or down the street, First Baptist or First Pentecostal, doesn't matter. We got to figure out I'm not there anymore. No, you're not hearing me. I'm going to preach on though. Because there is something powerfully we will miss if we don't assemble together emotionally. No, you're not. I'm going to say it again. I'm not talking about just your carcass being in a pew. I'm talking about your mind being here, your heart being here. Oh, yes, I am. I'm going there. You've got to be more than just in the pew. You've got to be here. Because when you are here, there comes a joy. I want us to have that joy. I want us to experience that joy. I want us to have unity like we've never had before. Where are you in fellowship? Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for this church. I love this church. I'm glad to be in this church. Amen. Now, before I wasn't quite as much, I was a little worried about what people thought. Now, <laughs> I say to folks, look, that's, that's fine and dandy. You want to go to church here. If you're transferring or God's moving you, you moved in. Man, we got all kind of jobs and you moved in here to take a job. <laughs> fine and dandy. I want to tell you something. You got to connect with this church. We're going to miss something if you don't. No, you're not hearing me. You're going to short circuit something in the body if you don't get here. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> Lorena's even afraid to say it. She said, I think he's talking to me. <laughs> That's all right. I want us to all examine ourselves. This is a unique church. This is a unique community. I can't go to Alexandria and come home and say, well, here's what they did there. That's what we got to do here. No, this is an entirely different situation. 
So we need God to lead us, and we need him to lead us together. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord right now. I gotta hurry, my goodness. I want the joy. They continued in the temple and from house to house, and they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Notice also during persecution, they didn't forsake the assembly. You remember Peter being in jail? They prayed. He was miraculously delivered from jail. He went straight to the house where God's people were gathered praying. Do you think he knew where it was? Sure he did. He got out of prison and said, oh, I know where God's people are going to be. He went straight there. That's the New Testament church. You say, oh, there wasn't a church. They just kind of went around. No, Peter, when he got out of prison, he knew exactly where to go. Now, it wasn't a building like this. It was a house, but he knew where they were. I don't know if they had a service schedule. Next week is at Aunt Susie's. <laughs> but he knew whatever day it was, maybe it was Tuesday, he knew on Tuesday night <laughs> they're going to be in this house praying. So let's talk about what is this assembly. Everybody say this assembly. Man, it's hot in here. I think I'm just having hot flashes or something. I don't know. Is it hot? Teresa's covered up and she's freezing to death. Okay, let's take a vote. Since we're the assembly, let's decide whether it's hot or not. (laughs) What is the assembly? Ecclesia is the Greek word, ecclesia. Ecclesia, if you want to get real particular. But the ek in the front of the word means out of. The klesia means a calling. So the entire word means a calling out of. The church, the church, not individual, but the ecclesia is the called out ones assembled. That word means the entire church, the body. Not just me. I'm not, I'm not the ecclesia by myself. It's all of us together. The called out ones make up the church. Okay. Well, if, if I know that's mind blowing, but let's connect that with this verse. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock... <laughs> I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word church there is ecclesia. The group of the the called out ones assembled. And the NIV literally says, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, What that says is the gates of hell cannot prevail against the called out ones assembled. Did you hear that? That the assurance against the powers of hell are connected with the ecclesia, the group of called out ones. Not me wandering off by myself doing my own thing. Some of you wondering, well, I, you keep quoting that verse. On this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That only is a promise to the called out ones assembled. That means you need to be a part of the church if that promise is going to be yours. Hey, I don't know about you, but there's enough hell in everybody's life. We need something that will stop the gates of hell that gives us the assurance that the gates of hell will never conquer us. And that only happens in the body. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. You, You know what the gates of hell cannot conquer? It's the ecclesia, the called out ones. It's us. You ever seen the gates of hell conquer a person? Come on, help me now. Absolutely. The assurance you have 
against the enemy is in connection with you being in the body. Oh yeah, I want to walk through my house and say the gates of hell don't prevail here because that promise is connected with me being in fellowship with God's people. I hope you understand the implications of that. Some of the defeats in your life don't have anything to do with your prayer life. Whether you're reading the Bible or not, it may have to do with your attitude or your connection with the ecclesia, the church. I'm glad to be a part of the church. I'm glad to be in this body. Let's talk about the body. Let's do that. In Corinthians chapters 12 and 14, these chapters speak of the gifts of the Spirit. If I say the gifts of the Spirit, it's amazing to me. It's amazing. Let me just, let me just take you to life development just for a moment. Level 501, this is the graduate class. It's amazing how many people are enamored with chapter 12 of Corinthians and chapter 14 of Corinthians. But right between those two chapters, there's some two real important ones. Right before 12 and right after 12. There's, there's 11 and 13. 11 has to do with authority. 13 has to do with love. Sandwiched in it, in the operation of the gifts, is authority and love. Okay, that's enough for that. Take the class if you want the rest of it. These chapters speak of the gifts. Chapter 12 speaks of the gifts of the Spirit that the body has each member. To one, the gift of tongues. To another, the interpretation. To one, the gift. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But chapter 14 talks about the gifts of the Spirit operating when we gather. It starts talking about the gathering, the assembly. You see, the gifts of the Spirit that are in the body in chapter 12 are manifested when we gather together. That means you can be at home and talk in tongues and prophesy and give words of wisdom and word of knowledge, but the place it really shows itself is in the gathering. This is where it's needed. You're not given gifts to go home and say how spiritual you are. You're given gifts to benefit the body, us. In other words, we need you. We're missing something if you're absent. I, you know what? I told myself this was going to be a real good lesson. Why don't you just be a teacher tonight and stay behind the pulpit? I even wore clothes I didn't want to sweat in. <laughs> Let's give an example and I hurry. Let's talk about the body. In, the, in, in Corinthians 14, this, in 12, he's talking about each one of us having a gift. In 14, he uses words like foot, hand, ear, eye, nose, head, feeble, less honorable, honorable, Comely, uncomely. And if we are all a part of the body listed above, head, hand, foot, ear, eye, and you name it, think about us. The Bible says one of us is a foot, the other is an eye. Think about us never assembling. You're an eyeball. Man, you sure see a lot. You read your Bible and see crazy stuff. But you need a foot. Sometimes you really need a foot. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you are an ear. You hear everything. I know because you tell everybody, you know what I heard? <laughs> You're an ear. It's okay. The body needs ears, right? right? Yeah. But thank God we're not all ears. Yeah. 
there's smellers in here and there's fellers in here. The Bible says some's a nose, some's a foot, some's a hand. Some parts are uncomely, some parts are beautiful, some parts are feeble, some parts are healthy. What we see privately will never exceed what we see assembled. I know you ought to read your Bible by yourself, but you need to assemble when God's people are assembling because you need an ear. You need a foot. You need an eye. And you only see it your way. It's nice to have a foot convention because we all feel like kicking people. It's nice to have an eye convention because we're only concerned about what you see. You understand what I'm saying? Turn to your neighbor and tell them I need you. Let me hurry. My Lord, I've been hurrying the whole night. This is so important, folks. The analogy of the body. Paul says the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one of you so that when you come together in chapter 14, that the foot and the hand and the eye and the ear and the nose and the ugly parts and the beautiful parts and the feeble parts and the healthy parts, they are all edified. They're all blessed. You can't get that at home. You can't. It's impossible. Because you are a part of that body, you are not the whole body. Well, okay, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30 says something that one shall put a thousand to flight. Anybody know this math? One shall put a thousand to flight and two shall put 10,000. Okay. How is this possible? In my math, that must be that new math. Because in my math, if one puts 1,000 to flight, two should put 2,000 to flight. There's 8,000 that's coming from somewhere. That, folks, is the part I'm talking about. That's called surplus. That's called the part only God can do. God says one puts a thousand, two puts ten thousand. There's an additional eight thousand. This is a perfect example of what happens when God's people comes together and his power is present. God is the surplus. He's the leftovers. Oh, come on, praise the Lord for a minute. Come on, praise. We need more than just a thousand. We need more than all of our efforts combined. We need God to get in here and do only what he can do. So I need to gather with God's people. I need to come to prayer meeting because I need the surplus. I need to be gathered at church on Sunday because I need more than I'm able to do. Somebody say amen. I need more. Let's talk about the Lord's presence in the gathering. Matthew 28, verse 20. This is, you know, Matthew 28, 19, going to all the world. Everybody say going to all the world. Absolutely. Matthew 28, 19, famous verse. The very next verse. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even unto the end of the world, amen. Or that word means so be it. This pertains to witnessing. Everybody say witnessing. The Lord said, go into all the world, baptizing them, verse 19. Verse 20, teaching them, and lo, I'm with you. He's, he's, this is, the context is witnessing. Everybody say witnessing. Look at Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, There am I in the midst of them. Matthew Matthew 28, 20 deals with me going out into the world and witnessing for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, 
I'll go with you. When you're at work, I'll go with you. When you're on your job, I'm going with you. When you're bringing the witness of Christ, Jesus says, I'm going with you. But notice in Matthew 18, he says, there's also a dynamic of my presence that happens when there's two or three. Everybody say, there's got to be more than one. That's right, got to be more than one. He says, there's a dynamic of my presence that comes when there's two. Only in assembling together do we experience his presence in that way. Matthew 18, verse 20. When I go to work, he's going with me. But there's a dimension of his presence that I only get when there's at least two people there. Where am I in fellowship? Now in closing, I want to deal with how should we assemble. How should we assemble? Everybody say how. First thing is very important. We should assemble, the Bible says, in his name. In his name. He said it, in my name. Where two or three are gathered together. Where? In my name. So we gather under the authority of the Lord and we are centered on him. Somebody say amen. This is where I think we need a little maturity, saints of God. I want you to listen closely. We do not assemble to hear a preacher. Only. We do not assemble just to hear a preacher. If that's the case, then we're gathering in a man's name. Some of you, you may not understand what I'm saying. Well, I'm going to make it real plain. In other words, when Brother Joe Schmo from Kokomo is preaching on Wednesday night and half of you don't show up because the preacher's not there, it's not right. Something's wrong between your ears about what this church is. See, that's where we need maturity is we're gathered in his name, not my name. I know I love preaching to you. Cheryl says I do my best preaching here because you folks are good subjects. But you know what? If I had Brother John Stevens come preach next Wednesday night, I'd want you to be just just as much behind John as you were behind me. You know why? Because we're gathered in his name, under his authority. Uh, hit split sessions and frankly I don't think Tim knows what he's talking about I, well I'm just going to find what class Brother Gene's in and that's what oh I fooled you last time didn't it I didn't have a class some of you didn't know where to go where's Brother Gene folks we are gathered in his name It doesn't matter if it's me and Homer and we're at Homer's house. Jesus says, I'm there. It's not my name. It's not Homer's name. It's Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. So if we're gathered because of the preacher, we're gathered for a man and not the man. Second thing in answering how we should come, we should come edifying are building up, building up the body. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, period. All of you, you got wonderful gifts, but let every bit of it be done to build up people. First Corinthians 14, that others, not ourselves, may be edified. So when we gather, we must consider whether or not others are going to be blessed. <laughs> well, I feel like singing this song because I sound good on it. I'm sorry, that's, that's not why we're here. 
we're here to be blessed and lifted up. <laughs> in whatever I do, do I help the assembly or do I damage it? The place individualism is manifested the most, it's crazy, but it's in the assembly. Paul dealt with it. He said, some of you are saying I'm of Apollos and some of you are saying I'm of this and I'm of that. And he said, that's great. This is not the place for individualism. This is a place to think about the rest of the body. Am I being a blessing to my brother? (laughs) If you're tearing somebody up, you're not helping the assembly. So where are you in fellowship? I'm glad to be at church. I love God's people. I would rather be here than anywhere else. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I want to challenge you. Come on, Some are only thinking of themselves. Some only think of their opinions. In fact, some think they are the meeting. Some think they are alone in the meeting. Everything we do in this setting right here in church needs to edify somebody else. All things. Everybody say all things. Everybody say all things. All things should be done for edification. So when we are concerned with others' needs and others' edification, then the Holy Ghost is honored and he begins to do a work in this assembly. So we don't come together to say, Pastor, I'm here to get my blessing. In fact, you just learned tonight that you're not here to get your blessing. You're here assembled to bless somebody else. I'm going to get blessed about 6.30 tomorrow back there in my office when me and God have some time together. I'm going to get a good blessing there. I'm here tonight to edify the body. Church is not about I'm come to get my blessing. No, Paul said everything you do at church needs to edify somebody. I'm here to lift somebody up. You're to tell somebody God's for you. You can make it. Don't give up. God can be trusted. He'll walk with you all the way. There are times we need the prayers of God's people. You have no idea what that fellow sitting beside you went through since Sunday when you last saw him. He needs you to edify him. And that doesn't mean know what he's going through. That just means put your hand on his shoulder and pray for him. Do you know there are people in this church that can't stand it when I say let's pray one for another? Have you not read the Bible that we are here to edify and bless and help? Well, I feel uncomfortable. Well, you don't need to. This is your family. These are my people. I want you to stand right now and I just want you to bless somebody. I want you to reach over and pray for somebody and and pray, Lord, would you bless this person? Lord, would you encourage this person? Lord, this, this individual may be having financial trouble. Lord, would you bless them right now? Come on. Come on in some way.